Welcome to this episode of Skintings. Just a note from me before this episode, this is part of my radio documentary series, The Blackness of Rock, that I worked on for Absolute Radio. So here it is. Enjoy. To finish my documentary mini-series, The Blackness of Rock, I wanted to speak to some of the black artists inspiring me right now who are currently breaking through into the rock scene, which is why I chatted to Stephanie, Estella and Shardine from the punk band Big Journey. Firstly, what kind of music were you guys into individually growing up and how did you fall in love with punk? I'll go to you first, Stephanie. I mean, for me, I think it's just kind of similar of everyone of my age. Like I'm in my early 30s now and I was like a kid that grew up with the internet. So I got into, you know, Ali and Destiny's Child and early noughties R&B. But yeah. at the same time, I was getting into like the White Stripes and kind of lots of British indie bands like Block Party and Franz Ferdinand. And then kind of once I was kind of on the internet and Googling things, I found out about Riot Girl. Then once I found that, I found Kill Rock Stars. And then I found The Gossip and Slater Kinney. And so that was kind of like my entry point into punk. It kind of came through that feminist punk um, scene. What about you, Shadin? I went to a French exchange school trip and they were playing Nirvana unplugged and I'd never heard it mm. before so when I came back it was listening to that and then sort of being like oh, I really love this music it was something that I could really connected with it was a case of MTV2 so I used to record the videos and then John Peel I used to record that show Estelle what about you I mean in terms of like playing bass I think we've got some good examples as well like my friend Gail and Dorsey and my friend uh, Michelle Natasha the cello what really attracted you towards the bass but to not do it in that kind of sense you know you went to punk so it's actually my older sister who got me into alternative music she's about eight years older than me it would be her who'd be listening to like pulp and blur and cassette as well as stuff like prodigy I mean, we remember watching Skunk and Nancy on like Top of the Pops and stuff as well. So um, it was about when I was like 13, I got my first guitar. Um, I actually started out as a guitarist and my sister Vicky got her first bass, but she'd already been playing drums as well. And so when she went off to uni, I had a role model straight in my family. He was already a woman, like black woman out there playing in bands and stuff um, locally in Reading and everything. I always had someone I could sort of follow in their footsteps and be like, well, Vicky's played in bands, so obviously I can do it as well. And yeah, so that's kind of how I came to it. And punk was just what I was listening to, similar to Steph had grown up around like that kind of indie from the mid 2000s and then emo. Why did you decide to make it particularly a feminist punk band? I mean, why did you feel that that was missing from the scene that you were in? When I started the band, we started it because there was an advert for a gig called First Timers, which was kind of asking people to start new bands and to kind of play new instruments that they hadn't played before. So it was all kind of supposed to be to get more marginalised people into starting bands in the punk scene. And originally, I think I just posted that I wanted to start a black punk band, not really thinking about who would be joining. But it was kind of just a coincidence that everyone that joined was a black woman so yeah. it, it's just kind of literal we are black women we're feminists we're proud of it <laughs> so, so black exactly and, but also it kind of has a statement because i think it's rare to have a space where 
black women are centered and that's something that we can we can do with a band and change people's ideas of who's the most important person in the room and calling ourselves black feminist punk and and kind of being on stage and having mics kind of really kind of changes that around I think so yeah absolutely has the recent kind of political climate how that's changed in the last couple of years has that changed and made doors open for you you know do you feel like people are more willing to hear the stories from black women and from black peoples Sometimes there can be like a kind of internalised thing about what it is that we should listen to and what we shouldn't listen to. Mm. And um, we end up pigeonholing ourselves in a way. And I think lately, you know, we're starting to push back against that. But I think for me, some of the problems around that is that we have to do it through like a reclaiming narrative. Like these artists never went anywhere. We didn't lose them. They were always part of the black community. You know, and all those people were very sort of vocal around civil rights and all of that kind of stuff. So I think in a way we kind of need to ask ourselves about like, how do we as a community look at our musical canon instead of reflecting how white people, I guess, genre our music in a way yeah, because we music and white music and it's like well actually no this is just is all our music but your point is exactly right it's all black it was always black there is nothing to reclaim remember when you headlined glastonbury and then people were you know talking about you know stormzy being the first and we were like well hang on skin and skin <laughs> Nancy were doing that 10 15 years before that do you know what i mean so it's yeah. almost kind of like you know, we invisibilize really important people. I, I think the most powerful tool racism has is to make us and our stories invisible. Because if you can kind of say over generations that something never happened and it didn't happen, that's a way of making it invisible. And I think it's the most successful tool that's happened with black people and black music and black history. That's what happened to us when the glass and It was like people forgot it was Skunk and Nancy because they just stopped talking about us because they didn't want us to, to recognise that actually there was a black fronted band, two members that were doing that in 1999. What are the biggest hurdles that you had to climb over in your career so far? I mean, I think we get an audience. People get what we do. They like our shows. But it's kind of going beyond the live to kind of like the music business side of the industry. And it's hard to convince someone in an office or, you know, some suit that kind of a black feminist punk ballet is, is something that people want to see. Mm. I just don't believe that that's a possibility. And we've kind of constantly come up to a brick wall trying to get to the next stage. I feel like we've been consistently underestimated yeah. in a way that doesn't make sense when you come to our live shows or you see how busy it is when we play at a festival or we announce a show and yet yeah it has been the more of the industry side that has constantly like had this hesitation with us whereas all the musicians like that we love and have influenced us all really like our band raincoat sleet kinney bikini kill gossip Mm. you know so we've got all the endorsements (laughs) we've got all the endorsements but yeah like the rest of the band says sometimes it'll be things like putting you on at a really early time Mm. so you know but then when you actually put on at a decent time the the tent is absolutely packed out yeah or you know reviewers seeing black faces and then being like Oh, it's so full. It's it's like using like descriptive yeah, words. No, like, it's not full. No. It's punk. It's not so full. It's punk. 
you know, I feel like as women and particularly as black women within a sort of punk and rock world, there's like two things that you can do. You can either be the sexy front woman. Or the aggressive one. Or the aggressive one. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just sort of play and be yourself. So you either got to be like doing something overtly, very obviously political so the men can understand what's going on. (laughs) Or, you know, you just slink around the stage. Get all sexy. You know. I know exactly what you mean because I feel that in my career it's been such a small radius that I have. You know, it's like they thought I was pretty but they didn't think I was sexy because I wasn't the one that was going to put a baby doll dress on and sit on the laps in a pub. And then you know, I get the aggressive one. It's like, well, it's rock music. It's all aggressive, but it's this very limited view and this kind of um, uh, ruler that they have for what Black women can do on stage. And it drives me crazy. Um, and it, I think that still goes on to this day, really. It still goes on to this day. It definitely felt like within our sort of DIY London punk scene, like the kind of conversations that hadn't been happening maybe like 10 years ago had begun and uh, maybe in part through things like decolonized fest starting as well so like a punk festival that's by punks of color for punks of color and trying to address things like how it is unreasonable in sort of this day and age to be putting on a bunch of shows and running a venue and not expecting to have like people of color on the stage expecting to have like all male white bills basically like people have started to like actually think about how they're booking and programming you know, having things like First Timers, which is the event that Big Joni started at, and that has continued, um, which encourages like new people to take to the stage and start bands, especially people who maybe haven't had access to instruments and kind of classical training like a lot of bands have had, whether they want to keep that on the down low or not. That's really important because that changes the face of punk and changes the face of rock, which is, the, you know, one of the most important things you can do. Yeah, I think um, it's really important. So first timers, for example, uh, at least one member of the band has to be playing their first ever gig. And people are also encouraged to take up instruments that they've never played before. And it's meant to show that like, you don't need to be this perfect package to be able to take to the stage, play music and like say what you want to say up there and stuff because a lot of people feel that they don't have that right to be on stage if they haven't, you know, had all this training, been to like music lessons, which are again expensive or had all this expensive gear. So things like first timers and also Girls Rock London, which does a very similar thing, are trying to encourage like people from more marginalized identities and maybe from like lower income brackets to like be able to start bands and have access to these things. I think that's really important because there are bands from first timers like us who have gone on to, you know, play more routinely, be able to like release music on a record label, things like that. So it's really important that there's this other avenue for people who don't have that access. That was Big Journey there. you got to make sure you got to check them out, okay? Another person I wanted to speak to about the blackness of rock was Absolute Radio's very own Sophie Kay about her experience as a black woman in the industry and how she sees the future of black rock. I think the industry's really slow at accepting that actually... The kids of today want diversity and if they keep holding on to rock, because it's like a bird, if you keep holding on to it, you're just going to kill it. 
And if you mm. keep trying to recreate the same bands over and over again, it's just going to die as a genre because genres have to evolve. But I think what's happened is TikTok has exploded. Like everyone's hearing mm. about TikTok. Everyone's getting behind it. And what's happened is there's been this explosion, resurgence of emo mainly and pop punk. And it's mainly being led by people of colour, queer people, women, like the people you don't expect to be playing rock. And what's interesting, the labels are trying to recreate that and create these almost constructed bands to be able to tap into this scene that's happening on TikTok. And it's failing because you can't fake rock and the passion that comes with it. So the scene is in an amazing place because there's this resurgence happening but it's happening amongst the audience. The thing that hits me is that you can see there's this great movement of the kids towards indie music and towards punk and you know they're looking mm. back into the 90s looking back into the 70s and they're, they're, they've reinvented it and there's this whole yeah. new sound because also I think what really affects it is the fact that people are making music in their bedrooms it feels a bit like when the internet started you know record companies and the industry was so slow to pick on what was happening there and it feels to me like it's exactly the same thing happening now you have this really exciting scene happening with all kinds of people where diversity is actually the foundation and the root of it and then the industry is still hanging on and holding on to what bands were doing as you say 20 years ago and Mm. that format of three white boys or four white boys in the band they're still buying into that when that's over you know and and i mean that in the nicest beautiful way what we started in the 90s you know where the little scene scene in king's cross that to me is there's a resurgence of that a lot of bands have been political a lot of bands are having all these attitudes and again the industry is asleep <laughs> yeah it is again it's because people at the top just don't want to accept that black people can do things other than hip-hop yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? People want to put us in this box, and I feel that as soon as you're something outside of that, people go, oh, I don't know what you are, I don't understand, you don't fit into these boxes. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. There's, like, this disconnect. I felt that that was the same in Sky Connecty days when we first started. There's a complete disconnect to what the kids and what people are into. And I think that Black TikTok is amazing because... The music is incredible, but it's reinvented. I mean, Willow Smith, you know, Transparent Mm. Soul and and that whole album. You know, when you see people like her being into rock music, I think the signs are all there. But again, it has to come from the bottom up. It's almost kind of like the kids are going to change it themselves, whether the adults like it or not. When you are a person of colour and you're into this scene, it's really hard to find your place because a lot of people go, well, that's, that's white people stuff. And you're like, no, yeah. this, is, this came from Black Roots. On the ground, it's changing, it's changing. It is. What bands are you think are really heading the scene now? What bands are you really excited about? So UK-wise, um, instantly the people who come to mind are Nova Twins. They toured with us, actually. Their style is on point. Yes. And their music is amazing. I got so angry once. Georgia was telling me from the band that she always gets asked in interviews. So... Do you build your own pedal boards? And for anyone who doesn't know, like guitarists have the pedals on the yeah, board that they the make floor. different sounds with. Yeah. yeah. And people don't believe that she builds her own pedal boards. Yeah. 
I mean, it's just the basic thing that you do as a guitarist, and it's kind of like asking her if she can tune her own guitar. Really. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's madness. But they're an amazing band. They're coming up, and they're finally, finally getting recognition, which is so good to see. But then I always shout as well about the British band that I feel don't get enough love are Skin Dread. Like, often the only people of colour on the main stage at yeah, Download. At any festival, yeah. It's got to a point where it's like... How can we only have Skunk and Nancy and Skindred? Come on. <laughs> let's, let's. <laughs> this is a sad place where what tends to happen a lot in the music industry is people open the door and they let someone in. They go, right, you're really good. You can come in. And then they shut the door behind you. Mm. And, I feel that's what happened with Skunk and Nancy. I always thought that there were going to be lots of little Skunk and Nancy's coming up behind us. And it is a very interesting thing. I mean, I think the whole Glastonbury thing when it happened, it was like people were shocked that we headlined Glastonbury. And I'm like, yeah, we sold millions of records. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like, but we're still treated as we're kind of some weird band that nobody likes. <laughs> That's, <laughs> you know? Do you know what? I think it's the same in my career. And I don't know if you've found this, but sometimes people will go, OK, we need someone of colour. Right, let's yeah. get Sophie involved. They don't go, who's one of the best presenters in this scene? OK, yeah. Sophie. And it's like, the reason I'm here isn't because of my skin colour, it's because I had to be better than everybody else. Yeah, I think it's one of the things that most black people that are successful will say, yeah, I'm here because I had to be ten times better. And I think that's one of the things. But I think that, you know, sometimes I can really feel it. And I'm like, well, I'm going to do it anyway, because I'm going to get in there and open that gap and mm. let more people through. You know, sometimes you have to have someone who's a pioneer. I mean, for me, I think one of the biggest changes in terms of how I was perceived was how Black Lives Matter changed the face of and the thought of how black people were perceived. For me, I felt it was the first time that people looked at me differently and began to understand what we had been going through. A hundred percent. And I think it was a big turning point within music because people looked at their lineups, they looked at their staff and they went wow, we haven't got any diversity here. We're under the spotlight. And so now I think that there is more diversity, more change is going to happen across the board. It's an exciting time. I remember when I interviewed Shirley Manson, one of the first things she said to me was like, God, you know, at the time, Skunk and Nancy and Garbage were pitted against each other by journalists all the time. It's like there was no room for more than two female-fronted bands. And she says, now I realise how much hard it was for you because I can wow. understand it and I can see. And I think that's a direct thing that happened. Black Lives Matter did that. It's done a lot of good. A lot. And I think it's helped the kids look at themselves and want diversity and want to have more different types of people in their industry. And they're doing it themselves, whether we like it or not, whether older people like it or not, whether the industry people likes it or not. You know, they're out there doing it. So I think that's, for me, it's been a hugely positive thing. If I'm going to give any advice to new black and brown folk in the music industry, I would say the most important thing is that the things that you think are going to hold you back or the things that you think are a bit weird are actually your best selling points. Yeah. So the fact that you're black and doing rock is your best selling point. So run towards it instead of like hiding it or stepping away from it or trying to kind of fit in. Don't fit in. Because in Skunk and Nancy, when I stopped trying to be like a little indie white boy in skinny black jeans and started being skinny, that's the change that happened in me that made me much more confident and want to go forward. I do think you have a, a really good point about 
being yourself. Like I felt like I used to have to hide parts of myself and try and fit in as much as I could in this scene. But then I was never going to fit in because the standard of beauty was always you've got to be a pale skinned goth girl or you've got like there was you've got to wear you've got to be Courtney Love Courtney Love yeah (laughs) or Amy Lee from Evanescence like there was always these people and I was never ever going to look like them and what I started doing was just embracing me and who I am and my heritage so what I would say is embrace who you are take those influences from wherever they come from and be careful not to try and fit in too much because there's nothing more powerful than being able to open the door for others and that Mm. is what has given me joy if the next Sophie K is like 10 times more successful than me I'm happy with that because I just want to see this scene and this industry grow and for us to be seen as equals and not feel ostracised and that is the future I mean I think the future for black people and brown people in rock music is very bright the kids have thrown off the shackles of what they are and what they're not supposed to do the more individual and different and weird you are the more that is celebrated so I think the future of black and brown people in rock is very very healthy whether people like it or not it's all changing right in front of our very eyes and it's a wonderful thing to see Over the course of this series, we've looked at the incredible history of Black Rock from the roots right up to the present day, where Black Rock is making its resurgence. It's very clear that the future is looking good for the Blackness of Rock. Thank you for listening and thank you to all the artists that uh, gave me some of their valuable time. Mm-hmm.